Okay. So today we're talking about self-control. I don't know if you guys saw online. And this is a pretty good topic. Like, I think it's super relevant and it's something that's like super endorsed, Christian or not. It's good to have self-control. It's good to kind of like be in control of how you respond to situations, how you react. Um, but I think it's especially important as Christians, like even more so than you would as like a, a normal everyday person. And when I was preparing, I was like, I think that some of the perspectives on this topic are oversimplified. Like, if you're a non-Christian person, or even if you're, like, you're a Christian and you don't have the right mindset about self-control, I think you can think that it's kind of just like, or oh, just try harder, make better choices, do a little better. And sure, but that's wrong, because it only gets you so far and you're inevitably going to fail. And we're going to see that today. So there really needs to be a perspective shift in our mind. That's what I want us to get out of today. Um, okay, so just to start, like, imagine a world where you could do anything you wanted. You could do anything you wanted, where self-control is not valued or expected from people. You could just, I don't know, walk into work on Monday and be like, I quit. I hate this job. I hate you. I don't get paid enough. And then you just like dip. And then like, a lot of people love that. I know like, Joris would love that. But he's not here today. Um, or this tunt who keeps asking you when you're going to get married. You just want to say to her, you're not even married. What's your, like, why, why are you telling like, you know, fill in the blanks for whatever. Sorry, Tan, if you're listening to this, any time. Fill in the blank yourself. It's crazy. Like, there, there is an expected level of self-control in society. Um, but yeah, that's not the world we live in. Christian or not, for the most part, a sense of, there is a sense of duty for you to control your actions um, and to act and participate inside, in society in a respectable way. Now, self-control, it's a very valued and prized trait in the Bible. Um, Jesus endorses it, and the wisdom literature of the Old Testament is definitely in support of it and talks a lot and encourages it. Um, it's even included in Galatians, as you might know, as one of the fruits of the Spirit. But clearly, it's very important. I don't need to convince you more than that. Um, so today, we're going to cover two main ideas, all right? So the first is, so what does the Bible teach on the topic of self-control? Like, what is there in the Bible? What should I know? What should I be aware of? And then secondly, how can I control my sinful impulses, which is like the crux of self-control, yeah? All right, let's start with the first point. Like, what does the Bible say on the topic of self-control? So, King James Version, it uses the word temperance. And this is like in place of self-control. And this is like self-discipline. It, it refer, refers to our or your ability to control or restrain yourselves from feelings, impulses, desires, um, which includes like the desire for phys physical or material comforts, things like that. And um, this is kind of like the idea to have in your mind when it comes to self-control, like controlling our desires, our impulses. And the Bible describes it as like a wrestling sort of thing that we're going to see in Paul's writings later. So Paul's super big on this thing. He talks about it all the time, self-control, self-discipline. Um, and there's this call to live to a higher standard as followers of Jesus, a higher standard, even more so than like your average everyday person. This is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And this is more well known. This is writing again in Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In Proverbs 18.21, the, power of the, t- the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Literally, a few verses earlier, Proverbs 18, verse 7, a fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. You're kind of getting the picture here. James chapter 1, 19 to 21. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the right righteousness that God desires. So you get the idea. Just a, literally just a few snippets, and there are millions more examples in the Bible that endorse and, and, and really um, put forward this this notion that self-control and controlling yourself is of utmost importance. It's not good for you to kind of just react in, in ways that are, that are natural to you. In a sense, like when someone does you wrong, you kind of just, you just have this impulse to do this thing or to say this thing or something happened here. Like, and, and I get it. And I want to say to you, like, it is natural for the most part, but it's not right. Like there needs to be some sort of a control over yourself, a self-control, this way where you engage in your daily walk to think differently, that you're not letting yourself loose to whatever your desires are, whatever your impulses are. Um, cool, yeah, we're called to live to a higher standard as followers of Jesus, and that we see even in Christ when he became flesh. Okay, so there you have it. Just control yourselves, um, be better, let's pray, let's call it there. No, we're not going to call it there. There's more to it than that, and Paul talks very candidly, he talks very candidly about how difficult this task is of self-discipline. And so we all know how hard it is for ourselves. Like, I, I don't need to sit here and say, it's really hard, and the Bible says, like, you know it's hard. You know it's hard. I'm not trying to, like, I don't know, beat a horse to death, to death or whatever. You know it's hard. Um, and we don't even, sorry, we don't need someone to tell us it. It's a consequence of our fallen nature. And uh, it's, it's just this propensity that we have within us to sin. We live, in essence, as slaves to sin, as Romans 6 puts it. And this, I just want to be clear here, um, this doesn't negate the reality of God's victory for humanity on the cross. The fight is won and death is defeated. Yet, still, this is the dilemma, yet still we live in this earth fighting a real spiritual battle. And so here I want to talk about Ephesians 6, where it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is like a quick aside to kind of say there are real powers at play. We've done series about this and I think we've brought it up multiple times. There are real powers at play that are waging war on your mind. You're not just walking about willy-nilly and like you're kind of just doing what you want. You're the one. There's actually real things that are trying to influence you and trying to get in the way of your Christian walk. You need to be aware of that. Don't live in ignorance. It's very real. Um, it's a reality we must face daily and be equipped for. Because if you're not equipped, you're going to be in real big trouble. Really big trouble. And that's a euphemism. You're going to be in a lot of strife. Um, so be equipped. How to be equipped? The armor of God. Um, but we're not going to get into that too much today. So there is a fight going on, uh, going on around us. We know that. Uh, it's trying to draw us away from following Christ. And the fight continues even within yourself. Like, it, like it's everywhere. You can't get away from it. We know what we want to do. We want to exhibit self-control. I want to be better. Like, I want to be able to control my... I want to be more like Jesus, the way he would walk around, the way he responded to situations. Like, that's what I want to be more like, and you guys as well, I imagine. Yet, it's so hard to do 
in the state of our fallen humanity. Like, you know, sometimes I do things without even knowing why. You kind of just do them. And I don't know if you guys get it as well. Like, it's just the reality of, of being human. Like, you go and you open the fridge five times. You don't even know why, but you just go and you do it anyway. You're not even hungry. And Dad's yelling at you because the, it's getting hot now. You're ruining the food in the fridge. I just do it. I don't even know why I do it. Uh, or I speak unkindly to someone at work because, you know what? They've given me a really hard time lately. And I just, like... I just want to give them a piece of my mind. And I, I understand self-restraint, but like they're really triggering me. And like, you know, like you just do it, and and you you don't mean to, but it's you know you shouldn't, but you do it anyway. Um, or I had a really bad day today, so I'm just going to indulge in this toxic behaviour, like mindlessly judging people on social media, etc., etc., etc. Fill in the blanks. Come up with better scenarios than I just did. Uh, and I realize I'm overlapping a bit with what Dave talked about last week, but it still remains very important here, which is why I think that this order was good. Let me say to you, Paul gets you. Paul understands. Paul is with you, 100%. Paul is chilling in 50 AD. He's got his candle in his little room. Uh, he probably didn't know that the earth goes around the sun or that uh, how inflation or interest rates work. And I'm running out of comparisons to say, but he gets you. The point is he actually understands the feeling of like wanting to do this and you don't want to do that, but you do it anyway because like, damn, like I really didn't want to fall into that habit that I always do or like to say that thing. Like, I don't know why I did that. Let's see what, enough of like dancing around. Let's see what he writes in Romans chapter seven. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Sorry, there's a lot of do's in that. But you understand what he's saying. It's that sort of concept. And on face value here, it seems as though Paul is kind of deflecting his own shortcomings, attributing it to kind of like, yeah, it's not me. It was just my sinful flesh. And feel free to try that one with Vic, Vic Rhodes next time you get a speeding fight. Oh, I didn't mean to. It was my sinful nature. You're going to get the demerit points. It is what it is. Um, instead, what Paul is describing here is the two natures of a Christian. So prior to salvation, we have this one nature, the nature of sin. But once we come to Christ, there's this, there is new creation in Christ. There is new creation. And the dilemma that Paul is expressing here and that, that we internally know, but that he's articulating here, is that we still abide in the old flesh, which has the remains of the sinful nature within it. Yet we are this new creation. And these two natures are at war constantly with one another. It's one's pulling you this way, one's pulling you the other way. Um, and, it, and it's really, like, difficult. And this is what Paul is trying to articulate here in, like, in this very verbose manner. And the desires of the believers, spiritual nature, pulls him, the direction, pulls him in the direction of good, while the flesh in which he lives in pulls him the other. He wants to do one thing, but has something with he, within him that just makes him do the opposite. You guys get this. Hope you guys are following. So strong here is Paul's desire to live godly, and he's so frustrated 
And so frustrated is he that his flesh wages war against his spirit that he writes in Romans, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then Paul expands further on this idea in his letter to the Corinthian church. And so the Greeks had the Olympic Games back then. They're very familiar with the intensity of athletic training required, uh, especially if one wanted to win the prize or the crown. And Paul likens this to living a disciplined Christian life as it's very similar to an athlete training for the Olympic Games. He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the Games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a, a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Do you guys see what he's trying to get across here? Paul's saying, I beat my body here and I make it my slave in, the, in this process of training. And it sounds kind of strange and, and it is kind of strange. But what he's articulating here is that his body is under the dominion and control of his mind. It's not the other way around. He's not just getting tossed around by whatever his mind, you know, I want to do this today and I've enjoyed being a preacher here. I'm just going to go do this. And when this person says this, like, no, it's, he's, he's disciplining himself. It's a very strict and rigorous process, which he's likening to training as an athlete for the Olympic Games. Um, so Paul is showing us how self-control is needed to win the race that is before us and to live the life that is holy and pleasing to God. And for Paul, this race was making disciples for Christ. Okay, then to finish the message, we need to discuss then, how can I control my sinful impulses, which was the second point that we wanted to cover. So, all right, yep, cool. The Bible says it's really important and I need to be masterful or master over my sinful desires and flesh, but how? Okay. So, the reality is that you really can't. Like you, you really can't at least not on your own. And you can try and you can implement as many good habits as possible. You can read these great philosophy books that talk about, I don't know, swapping bad habits with good habits and um, waking up at six and like setting a day, like, I don't know, whatever the new fad is. Like you can try hard or you can say like, oh, I'm really upset that I did that. Don't worry, next time I won't do it. Or this, like, honestly, I'm going to tell you, I think that's great, but it's not going to work. It's not sustainable. It's fallible. It's actually not what the Bible's talking about here. To truly change in this department, you need to understand that self-control is a work of the Holy Spirit. And it's very, very true here. And as we're just branches upon that which is Christ, the vine hangs the fruit that he produces. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit that gives Christians the power and the ability to exercise self-control. So that we won't be at the mercy of our own fleshly desires. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And that's true. And our self-control here, this is what I want us to understand. Our self-control is not just an exercise of our will, that I can do it, and if I try harder, I'll be able to do it. Uh, and if I change this, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. And I, I imagine in your life and in my life, you failed before. You've tried it. It doesn't work. You know that. We must rely on the grace of Jesus and the spirit that empowers us. Knowing that we have been called by God, we allow, we allow the spirit to work on us step by step. 
It's a continual process of renewal and sanctification, which ultimately looks like one thing, that every day we become a little more like Christ. And in that, in this process, we see ourselves no longer mastered by our desires. It's no longer, I have this desire, so I do this, and I react in this way. No, there's this sense that daily as you walk through the Spirit in this process of sanctification, you're more and more able to control the desires that you're beating your body into submission in this process. Now, in saying this, I want to flip the other way and say, that doesn't mean it's all up in the air. It's just like, yep, Holy Spirit, just do whatever you want to do. That's also not true. Like, God is the one to do the work. I just, oh, sorry, this is the, the frame of thought. God does the work. I just kind of need to sit around and wait for that to happen. I mean, no, your job is to engage with God. It's actually to engage. It's not to step back. So on the one hand, you have like, I can do it all myself. And we all know that's, that's not true. You can't. And then on the farther side, you think, you know what? I, there's no point at all. Like, God, I'll just leave it up to God. Like, that's also not true. And that's not what God wants. God wants you, he wants to meet you in the middle. He wants to engage with you in this process of sanctification. It's not a one-way street. It's not like you just sit in your chair and God, like, sprinkles, I don't know, or you, like, do it. No, it's not how it works. And get that? If that's what you're thinking, it's not true. You need to engage with God here. So, what does the refinement process look like for you? To grow in your walk with Christ and step away from self-gratification and into self-control. And Dave talked about it last week. Dave talked about it last week. It's, um, there is healing. There is healing in walking openly with other believers and in, in being honest with your struggles, uh, doing life together. There are steps to build each other up and working towards, or working towards turning towards God. You are not at the mercy of your impulses. You don't have to be. You don't have to be at all. God does not want you to live that way. It's such a, um, it's such a, a horrible way of living, really. Like to, to be at the desires of your, like whatever you kind of do, you just do. Like it's really, and God like looks at that and it's like, there's so much more out there for you. God doesn't want you to live that way. There is healing in stepping away from that and into communion, into the light. Uh, let God use that to grow your self-control which is a valuable trait on your Christian walk. The things that we talked about last week. Honestly, I think there is uh, healing and there is this refinement and sanctification process that happens in community. And maybe you're thinking, you know what, that's just people. Like, I need God to work with me, like, one-on-one or something. And that's true. Like, in your own private spiritual life, through through prayer, reading the scriptures, spending time, meditating, obviously we understand that. But you can't neglect, like, and I know Dave talked about it more profoundly than this last week, can't neglect these aspects of communion. There's so much growth to happen there. There's so much refinement that God is using that. You can't neglect that. You can't say, I'll try to do it by myself, but like, I'm not going to sit back. I want to engage with God. But like, you're just leaving out this entire domain that is, that is so well spoken upon as like a, a, a source of healing. You can't do that. You actually cannot. Like, and if you're sitting there and you're thinking that, then I, I just want to tell you like, that's not right. So this process of journeying with God involves like pointing out these behaviors through growing together, through, through being vulnerable, through speaking up, through uh, allowing other people to see into your life and to point out these things to say like, hey, that, that needs to change. It's not this solo adventure that you're on, like you and God trying to, trying to do it all yourselves. Like there, there is a reason for these communities, for people that you trust and, and that you love and that love you back to be able to sow into you, into your growth, into your character development. So that 
on your walk with Christ, you might be uh, encouraged that you might daily walk better with God and, and vice versa. When you sharpen them, they sharpen you back. So that's what I want to stress today. Um, and I just want to leave things here. And I have one question, only one question for you guys. We can spend five to ten minutes after. It's that I just want you to think of one area where you lack self-control. Just one. I know there's probably like 50 like for me, but just one area where you lack self-control and how can you change that? Try to be as specific as possible. Don't try and be airy-fairy. Is it, I wrote some examples down, is it at work? You just can't control your frustration. Everyone, everyone just triggers you at work. Like when they send these passive-aggressive emails, like as per my previous, or like when they do this or that, like it's just annoying. Or when you get home and you just let out the worst version of yourself when you're tired because haven't eaten, work sucked today, and I don't want anyone to talk to me. Like, I'm just triggered. Or with your family, you're just too short-tempered. Or you have this bad habit. Okay, sorry. You have this bad habit that you can't seem to break. Um, name it, and how can you change it? Sound good? I'll pray and then we'll finish. Dear God, um, thank you for this meeting place that we can meet together and that we can hear and listen about the value that there is in doing life in community, Lord, in a community of your people. Uh, so help us, Lord, refine us uh, through one another and through our time that we spend with you. In your name, amen.